0: Uh, commitment of the staff team of this parish to the teaching of God's word. Can I just um, recap a couple of details for you two weeks ago Andy was at home with a terrible fever as we were teaching through uh, Luke uh, chapter 4 the passage about Simon's mother-in-law being home with a fever this morning, he's lying at home, unable to walk.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: but I think probably thanking his lucky stars that Josh just uh, confirmed for me that the sermon series finishes at the end of chapter six before we get to the widow of Nain, uh, which would have really tested his commitment uh, to this program. It's... Uh, It's a high bar, isn't it, when you live through the Gospels like that? Uh, When Andy called me this morning, he said, uh, I I can't walk. Uh, Having done this passage in Bible study earlier this week, I said to him, well, get up. (laughs) And obviously it didn't work. Uh, But wouldn't it have been great if it did? Wouldn't that be something? To just be able to say, get up and walk, and he could. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Just like it was here. Luke chapter 5 and verse 24. Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home and immediately he rose up before them picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying we have seen extraordinary things today well no kidding (laughs) seen extraordinary things today But that extraordinary thing of seeing the paralyzed man stand up and walk was not even the most extraordinary thing that happened that day. And in fact, you could get that extraordinary thing and still miss the main point. You could get that extraordinary thing and still miss Jesus. Last month, uh, there was a new um, batch of data from the National Church Life Survey that was released. It was a, um, an extensive research that was done on the attitudes of Australians to Jesus. Um, makes fascinating reading. There's a, there's a lot of interesting bits in there. Uh, do you know that 49% of Australians know that Jesus was a historical figure? So let that drip in for a moment. know that he was an historic. That means more than half of Australians don't even know he existed. This is the country we live in. Now, a third of Australians don't know what to think of Jesus. And many of them are very curious. There are some who are opposed, but a third of Australians, or 29%, don't know what to make of him. One in three of the people that you might bump into in the street do not know that Jesus actually was a real person. But they're interested. That's, that's the world we live in. That's the city we live in. When you drill down, people don't know what to do with Jesus, even if they do know that he physically existed. They don't know what to do with him. And so roughly equal numbers of people in Australia think that Jesus was just an ordinary man, or was a prophet, a great religious leader, or was God incarnate. It says about one in five Australians actually believe that Jesus was God in the flesh of a man. One in five, that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? And that's actually why we have the passage before us in our Bibles today. It's that we might know who Jesus is. And particularly today that we might know Jesus is God. Because knowing that changes everything. Well, have a look at it with me. It'd be great if you did uh, have the passage open in front of you. uh, Or um, if you're a really good listener, that's also excellent. Um, but you see the scene for this whole story is set up there in Luke chapter 5 verse 17 Um, it's a little sentence with a lot of detail packed in uh, just so that we get the context the story set the scene on one of those days as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal And Luke sets up everything we need to know about the story in that sentence. Jesus is teaching. Now, that's not a surprise. And if you've been reading through uh, Luke's gospel with us and coming along week by week to church, uh, you will have noticed along the way that although extraordinary things have happened, Jesus' focus has been on teaching. And he has moved from place to place in order to teach. Teaching is what he's on about. So it's no surprise to find him on one of those days teaching. Teaching. The remarkable thing is that even though there are all these extraordinary miracles going on, Luke goes to great pains to tell us that the people are amazed at his teaching. The people are drawn to his teaching. He taught like no one they'd ever seen before as one who had authority. And so Jesus is teaching. But the next bit introduces us to a set of characters that Luke um, has not mentioned before. They're the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes. Now, uh, we haven't met them before, but they're going to dominate the story from this moment uh, for the next few chapters. It's, and it's going to become a, a clear opposition between Jesus and these people. But we've got to be careful not to read that opposition or to read our assumptions into it when we first meet them here. The, the the scribes are the experts in the law of God. They studied hard. They took seriously. They were all about the teaching of the word of God. And they've got a key place in the heart of the nation, in the worship of the temple, in the, in the things that go on. The teachers of the law are key. And the Pharisees are a voluntary group, who uh, a voluntary association of people whose chief characteristic was to obey the law. They took the obedience of the law absolutely seriously. So the, the groups were introduced are the ones who, who teach the law, and there'd be overlap between these two groups, but the ones whose reputation was not as hypocrites like we use the word. No, their, their primary reputation is they seriously tried to obey the law in every detail. And it's these people who were introduced two who are part of a crowd who've come from every village in Galilee Judea and Jerusalem now that can just roll off the tongue there's three place names and because most of us have never been there and we don't know don't know who looks at these places on a map um, just to give you a bit of a, a sense of the scale Jesus has done a lot of the teaching here in Luke at the top of the Sea of Galilee just picture that as being manly for a minute okay top of the harbour Uh, The bottom of the Sea of Galilee is about botany. okay. So that's how big the Sea of Galilee is. And uh, when you talk about the region of Galilee it's kind of like thinking about everything around Botany Bay and the harbour all kind of coming together. Um, Judea is the land to the south. Kind of southern highlands. That kind of area. And Jerusalem is about where Goulburn is. So in a land where there's no Planes, trains, or automobiles. People have walked from Goulburn to Manly to hear this man talk. News was getting out. And people have come from more than 125 kilometres away. And so, yeah, that's a crowd. And he's in a house and not everybody can fit in. And that's the scene that's set. There's one more thing about the mention of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not just 125 kilometres away. Jerusalem's the place where the temple is. Jerusalem's where the sacrifices are offered. Jerusalem is where the Day of Atonement happens. Jerusalem is the place where you go to have your sins forgiven. And so it's key that people from there have come to see Jesus in manly. What do they find? Oh, Sorry, one last thing just at the end. Um, Luke sets up the story by telling us that the power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal. So we know what to expect. Okay, we go into the story. Jesus, he's teaching, but he's got the power to heal. Huge crowds come gathered around. Then as we get into the detail of the story, it's almost comical. The scene is almost comical, isn't it? the crowds are so big around that some guys climb up on the roof and start digging, digging their way through peeling off the tiles to lower somebody down and it would be comical if it wasn't so desperate if it wasn't so tragic if it wasn't so much of this is our last hope that's obviously going on for these guys and it's expectant Paralysed man in those days, of course, had no prospect of work, had no prospect of family, had no prospect of any kind of independence. In fact, had one prospect, and that was to be a beggar. And so this man is destined for that life. But he has friends. And his friends bring him to Jesus. And so the scene's set up. And just like the leper that we saw uh, last week, or if you just uh, skim back up the page, you see the leper. The leper knows that if Jesus wants to, he can make him clean. If Jesus wants to, he can heal him. He's in no doubt at all that Jesus can do it. The only question for the leper is, does he want to? And so it is for these friends who lower the paralysed man down into the house we don't know much about them but we know that they were convinced that jesus could fix this too so it says here that jesus saw their faith what did he he saw their action didn't he he saw their action that came from the uh, the committed belief that if jesus wants to he could heal this man And so in verse 20, he saw their faith and he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, you just imagine, can't you? You've gone to all that trouble because your friend has a clearly identifiable issue. You bring him down to get that issue solved. You could imagine what the friends are thinking, can't you? Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, okay, but... But... It's all about him being paralyzed, isn't it? You can imagine the crowd around, wouldn't they all be thinking, hey, come on, what about him being paralyzed? Isn't the issue about him being paralyzed? What about that? Isn't that what everyone's going to be thinking? Well, not everyone, as it turns out. Because <laughs> look, Jesus sees what the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking. I began to question. Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceives their thoughts. As they haven't actually been saying this out loud. Jesus knows what they're thinking. And what they were thinking might be very different to what you were expecting, but their questions are absolutely bang on point. Who can... Forgive sins, but God alone. That's actually the point. That's it. They get it. Who is this man who claims to do what God alone can do? Talked about what an extraordinary staff team you've got, so you'll you, you'll be comforted to know this is not a real illustration but just imagine for a moment that josh and rod were were kind of having a bit of a, a really strong disagreement and uh and josh in a moment when his temper just completely flies off takes a big swing and clocks rod right in the jaw and i see this happening and i go up to josh and i say it's okay josh you're forgiven brother How's Rob feeling at the moment? What do you mean he's forgiven? He didn't hit you, he hit me. And that's the point of forgiveness, actually. It's only the one who's been offended who can forgive. Who can forgive sins but God? Nobody. Only God has the authority. Only God has the position. Only God has the place of being able to forgive rebellion against God which is easier to say Jesus says your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk well, what do you reckon just try saying both of those sentences then you might what do you reckon rise and walk your sins are forgiven rise and walk both about the same aren't they I mean, anyone can say them, it's just a sentence, it rolls off the tongue, it's easy, isn't it? Anyone can, it's easy to say, but both of them are impossible to do. Easy to say, impossible to do. Stand up and walk. I can say that, but Andy didn't. Your sins are forgiven. I can say that, I have no authority to do it. The difference between the two is if I say stand up and walk and you don't, everyone else knows. Whereas if I say your sins are forgiven, what's to see? Notice what Jesus says next. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And this is the point, actually. The, the, The whole thing is set up that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man is, uh, is Jesus' favourite way of talking about himself, but it, there, there was no settled agreement about what that title meant at the time. Jesus was was picking something up that had strings of baggage in Jewish culture, um, but it was kind of a bit ambiguous. The Son of Man is just saying a son of Adam, Ben-Adam, is human. It's any human, but ultimately it's... The perfect human, the one who is the fulfilment of every human expectation, the benedict, is a new man. Son of man kind of can lead you in that, in that direction. And the other major stream of a son of man is not just saying human or mortal. But the Daniel 7 idea, in Daniel 7, Daniel in his vision sees one like a son of man coming down from heaven, one like a son of the man who, who reigns over an everlasting kingdom, who is God's anointed Messiah. One like a human who is God-like as well, and this figure, this son of man figure who is God-like and human-like but who rules over all forever and Jesus says, I am the son of man. And it is the son of man, the, the, the human who is God-like, the, it's the son of man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus heals the man to prove that he has that authority. Do you see in verse 25 what the man does? Picked up what he had, went home glorifying God. Verse 26, in amazement sees them all and they glorified God. God, and we're filled with awe saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Jesus heals the man, so the man glorifies God because the healing showed that Jesus was God. Now, of course, the man who was there got it, But let me show you something that I didn't notice till I was in Bible study on Wednesday night. And can I just say, as a bit of an offhand way, it's a good idea to turn up to Bible study on a Wednesday night. Who knows when you might get asked to preach, and um, and all the prep that you did on a Wednesday night will come flooding back, God willing. Um, But uh, but you may not be asked to preach. More than half Australians don't even know that Jesus is a real person. A third of them are curious, and people don't know that Jesus is God. And if you were in Bible study on Wednesday night, you would know that, and you would have good news to share to your neighbour who does not know Jesus. But here's the one thing I noticed. Well, here's one of the things I noticed on Wednesday night. In verse 26 there, Amazement sees them all, and they all, they glorified God. Now, what do we know about the crowd? Came from all over the place, included the scribes and the Pharisees. And they all, they all were amazed and glorified God. Now, isn't that Extraordinary. Because how could you see that and hear that and not know that Jesus is God, that Jesus has authority to forgive sins, and even the scribes and the Pharisees saw it and knew. Well, what do we do with this? The rule in application is if the bible tells you something that the people there did at the time as a result of seeing Jesus let's start with that what did they do they glorified God praise God what a glory! what a wonderful thing let's make much of the God who doesn't just heal the sick but who forgives sins glorify God But as we dig around, there's a lot more going on here that is pretty close to home for you and me. This is my first time preaching in this church. I I, I know a few of you a bit. I don't know many of you very well at all. I certainly don't know your history and I definitely don't know your heart. But I have actually been in church with people for years and years and I've still not known their history and not known their hearts but Jesus does. Jesus knows even our thoughts, like he did for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus knows our heart. He knows our history. He knows everything that's gone on for us. And those things that you're thinking about now that you're very glad that other people in the building don't know about, it's sobering to know that God knows, isn't it? But he knows everything about us. And Jesus forgives sins. I want you to know that I'm going to tell you uh, just two quick stories about people that I've gone to church with over the years. The first one is a man who's about the same age as me. Um, he'd gone to church his whole life. He was still going uh, to the early morning service in the church. Uh, I was part of this parish, his early morning service. His parents were still going to the church. He was very committed to the church. He was on the sound desk every few weeks. He did all kinds of practical things. Was at the working bees. He was was thoroughly involved in the church. About my age, single man. um, Four years ago, he was arrested. He was swept up in one of those uh, raids where they discovered child pornography rings on the on the dark web. And he had been involved in this world for years and never told anyone about it. He went to church every week, never told anyone about it. Went through the liturgy, said his confession, went through the motions, but had never actually confessed his sin. When he was arrested, a bunch of us tried to go visit him in prison. He wouldn't see us. And I... uh, I honestly don't know what's going on for him at the moment, but he's cut off all his Christian ties, and my my terrible fear is he's actually cut off himself from God. He never acknowledged his own sinfulness. And friends, this is a big group of people, and there's going to be people here this morning who know things that they're ashamed of, but they've never told anyone else about it and they've never confessed it to God and they've never truly repented. And if that's you, can I say, please do. Jesus stands ready to forgive sin. Please do. I'll tell you about another friend I went uh, to church with. I went to visit her actually uh, when she was already very old. This is a few years ago now, but she was in her 90s. And she'd been at church her whole life as well. Uh, Been at church her whole life. She'd uh, raised kids in the church. She was on the uh, the flower roster. She polished the brass. She baked cakes for the cake sale, part of the women's guild. Just a foundation member of the church. And as I visited her in her 90s, and physically she was obviously very close to the end, and she was terrified of dying. And I said, well, why are you so afraid of dying? You've you've been in church. you've, you've, You've heard the gospel all these years. Aren't you looking forward to meeting God? She said, no, I'm not sure if I've done enough. And of course, I heard that my heart breaks. I think, what do you mean? You're not sure if you've done enough all these years. What were you trying to do? And she told me, like she had never told anybody in the church where she was at, that as a teenager she fell pregnant out of wedlock and had a child. And for more than 70 years she'd been trying to make up for that guilt and shame. And here she was in her 90s on death's door, not sure. And again, can I say, friends, maybe there's people here this morning... And you're you're holding in your heart a shame that you can't, you haven't felt able to share, and it's weighing you down. And and you're not sure. Can I say you can be sure? You can be sure that Jesus, who heals the paralytic, has authority to forgive sins. stands ready to forgive sins. Let me take you to the part of the Bible that I took um, that lady Lorna to on that day. It was one John, I'd just been reading through one John, and it um, just struck me that that was um, uh, that'd be a good place for us to go. Uh, it's page nine hundred and fifty-nine. If you've got um, uh, got one of the church board, well, I don't know. If you've got the church Bible, that's exactly the same as the church Bible I've got. It's page nine, and otherwise. You, You'll find it. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and from verse 8. Just feel the pastoral pathos in this. This is is about us being real about what's going on in our lives, our past, our history, our shame, our hurts, our hearts. John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin." But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then I just took her over the page to chapter 5. And if you're not sure, hear this word of God. 1 John 5.11, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And he stands ready to forgive sins and offer life. If you're not sure about that, can I urge you to not get in the car today before you are? You can know that assurance that you will be with God forever, that you will have life, not just now but in eternity. You can know that, and you can know that before you leave the building today, but you're going to need to talk to somebody about it. So please come and talk to me or Rod or Josh or Most of the people in the building here would love to have that conversation with you. You can be sure. My friend Lorna died shortly after that conversation and one day I'm going to see her again. If you have been forgiven, if you do follow Jesus and you are sure, can I just say one more thing to you? So if you have this assurance yourself, Can I say to you, you live in a country where less than half the people know that Jesus even existed. Can I say to you that you know that there is only one way to life, there's only one way to have your sins forgiven, there's only one way to have your shame dealt with and it is the Lord Jesus and and half of your neighbours do not even know that he's real. Jesus is a popular guy. Have you noticed this? Of Muslim friends, they think Jesus is wonderful. Buddhists think he's wonderfully wise. Secularists love the fact that he loved the poor. People love Jesus until you start talking about sin. Until you start talking about sin and his authority and our need of forgiveness. And if you're not sure, you can try this little experiment this week. Pick any verse in the Bible you like that mentions the word sin and just post it on your social media feed. You give it a try. You don't believe me? Everyone loves Jesus until you mention sin. You cannot have life until you've taken your sin to the cross of Jesus. That is. Is the good news we've got to share? It's the good news to share in a world where people are crippled with shame but don't know how to say so, don't have a safe place to admit it. People who feel guilt, who know that they have done wrong but have nothing to do with that. Where do you go? Who do not know that there is a Saviour who loves the sinners who called sinners to repent, the sick to be healed, the wicked to righteousness, the dead to life. So the good news is that we can tell our neighbours who don't yet know Jesus, there's a safe man to be honest with, this man who is God, who has the authority to forgive sins to heal our hurts, to bring new life. That is news better than they even know they're looking for, just like it was for the paralytic that day. Let's pray. We praise you, God. We glorify your name. Will you not only heal our sicknesses, but bring us to life from the dead? Father, we're so conscious that we live in a world where people are not even looking and don't even realise their need. And we pray, Father, that this week you might give each and every one of us an opportunity to speak about how excellent is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you might give us a confidence in the forgiveness that only he offers. We pray, Father, that we might live with the confidence that comes from knowing we are forgiven in his name. And, Father, we pray this, for your praise and glory. Amen.